This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today to go through this painful process of trying somehow to make sense of what happened Saturday night in Tuscaloosa is my co-host, Curtis. And man, I'll say, like it, it was actually a great weekend, right up until about 10, 15 or so on Saturday night, give or take about 10 minutes, as we let yet another game against Alabama just slip away from us. I swear we haven't seen that story before, but we hadn't played in Tuscaloosa since the OT win in 2007. Uh, that was actually when I was a senior at Georgia, so I actually wasn't able to be at that game. So this was my first road trip to Tuscaloosa, and it was really, it was, it was a great time until it wasn't and oh yeah that walk back to our hotel down the strip after the game that was awesome just so so awesome having drunken 19 year old sorority girls screaming obscenities at you when you were quietly a middle-aged man quietly walking back to your, your hotel that's a lot of fun you definitely gotta try it sometime if you haven't it's it's a great time but in all seriousness that sucked and there are so many layers to this loss to dig into Curtis, let's just start here. Obviously, the emotions in a fan base are running high and more than a little hot after a loss like this in a game of this magnitude, especially once it's kind of followed the exact same pattern it's followed the past couple matchups with the same program. So I always find it kind of interesting to see what different people who watch the same exact game take away from it because those takeaways, it's weird. Like They're often like all over the place and they're not always exactly aligned. So, Curtis, I haven't really gotten to talk to you much since the game ended, but what was your biggest takeaway from this game? Let's just start there. That we're just not there yet. I think that was the biggest thing you have to look at is there was a lot of stuff left out on the field that you saw that we could have taken advantage of, but that we just made the mistakes that in situations that we couldn't still expect to win. Yeah, that's straight to the point. And, and for me... I don't know, I took a couple things away from this game, but if I had to boil it down to one thing that I'm taking away, it's simply something that was driven home for me once and for all while I was sitting there watching this game, especially once I was walking out of the stadium. It kind of just hit me. And I, my mind's kind of been trending this direction for a couple of years now, but this did it for me. This this game absolutely drove it home for me that defense no longer wins championships. That old adage that 
I subscribed to for so many years because it was just hammered into my mind growing up as a young football player and a young coach and that kind of thing. It was just hammered into my football psyche, but I've had to change that philosophy. I've had to change that mindset over the past couple years based off what I've seen year in, year out. This is not a one-year thing or a one-game thing. No, this is just the, the the final straw for me, honestly. You can have the best defense in the country, but the best offenses that can put you in run-pass conflict and create favorable matchups, they are going to get theirs. They are going to put up points. It doesn't matter how good your defense is, they're still going to put up points. And if you cannot score with them, you are not beating the best teams. It's that simple. We've seen that story far too many times now to continue to try to deny that. I know a lot of you that are probably a little bit older than me, you've, you've kind of had that hammered into your mind longer than I had, this idea that defense wins championships. And so I know that might be something that you're hesitant to accept, but the evidence is staring us in the face. It just doesn't win championships anymore. Our defense, guys, is really good. I know we're going to be told all week long, probably the next couple of weeks, that our defense, and it's really actually not all that good. We're overrated. But with the offensive innovations and the rule changes of the past decade, Things have clearly just tilted in favor of offenses. And again, this is nothing new. This is not a one-game thing where I saw this one game and, oh my God, it just opened my eyes to something I had never even considered before in my life. That's not the case. It's been trending this way for a while, but whatever remnant of that philosophy, the old idea that defense wins championships, whatever remnant of that philosophy I was clinging on to, it is officially dead. As far as I'm concerned, the new adage is, elite offense and just enough defense wins championships. I mean, just guys, just go look at the college football playoff the past couple years. The last three seasons, the team that's won the national championship finished number 13, number three, and number two in yards per play offensively. If you look at five of the six national title games in the college football playoff era, five of those six games have had at least 60 total points scored. The only game that didn't have 60 points scored was the one where we played Alabama in the 2017 season. Other than that, every single game has gone at least over 60 points. And I point that out to show you guys that even the best teams, the two best teams playing the national title game, those teams are scoring points. And those teams, like you have Clemson, Alabama playing each other, those are teams with really good defenses. But the offenses are still scoring points because the rules, the innovations, it's all favoring the offensive side of the ball these days. Right now, what it's about, what college football has become about, and really what almost every level of football has become about, it's about which team with an elite, high-powered offense plays the most defense. It doesn't, they don't have to play elite defense. It's just who plays more defense than your opponent. This is why we steamroll all those teams that we out-talent. The Tennessees, the Auburns, the Missouris, the Kentuckys of the world. We steamroll those teams because we just have so much more talent than them. But when we are matched up with teams with comparable talent, we haven't consistently been able to win those games since the LSUs and the Alabamas of the world. Because no matter how good our defense is, and guys, our defense is, it's elite. Our defense last year was potentially the best in the country. And what do we do against LSU? Not much, right? Our defense this year, I still think is probably the best defense in the country. But what do we do against Alabama? Not much, right? Not compared to what we did against Auburn and what we did against Tennessee and what we did against Arkansas because they're on a different level. No matter how good our defense is, those elite offenses with comparable level of talent to what we have, they're going to get their points. And our offense, on the flip side, just hasn't been explosive or dynamic enough to keep pace with those teams. And until that changes, 
we are not going to win a national title. We'll be knocking on the door like we have been. We'll keep knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. But until that changes, until the offense becomes more explosive and more dynamic, I just don't see us winning a national title. Everything will have to go right in every matchup against every elite team that we play. And you can't—you just can't count on that. Yeah, maybe everything will go our way in one of those games. But is everything going to go our way against an elite opponent in the SEC title game? And then in the semifinals? And then also in the national championship game? It's not going to happen until we fix the offense and become more explosive and more dynamic to the level of LSU last year. I mean, not even necessarily to that level because LSU, that was the best offense I've probably ever seen in college football. But until we get somewhere close to that level, like what we saw from Alabama on Saturday night, I just don't know in this day and age of college football, no matter what kind of defense we put out there, that we're going to win national title. Because guys, we've had elite defenses and we still haven't won that elusive national title. So what's the difference? We've got to get better on offense. But anyway, let's move the conversation along here. That was my big takeaway, but a lot of the conversation today, at least from what I've seen and heard, and I look, I've been getting back from Tuscaloosa today. It's been a long day. It's been a tough day. I haven't been really been feeling like doing much of anything. But what I've seen, what I've heard, is obviously centering around Stetson Bennett, and not only his performance, but this team's ceiling with him at quarterback. And this is nothing new to us here on this podcast, because it seems like, I don't know, we've discussed this in depth at least once a week since the season started. Like There really hasn't been a mailbag episode over the past month that we haven't gotten like multiple questions about Stetson Bennett. And of course, they're asking kind of different ways, looking at it from different points of view. But the general theme just seems to be, is he good enough to lead us to a championship? And now that He's coming off this 18 for 40, three interception performance in the biggest game of the season to date. The clamoring for JT Daniels has started anew. It had quieted down a little bit after the Auburn and Tennessee games, but after Saturday, it's back at a fever pitch. So Curtis, I'm going to take you back, oh, I don't know, about three weeks ago when we first got news that JT Daniels was medically cleared to play, whatever that means in his situation right now, after that Arkansas game. And what I said then was, like, because the question was posed was like, okay, does this mean that JT Daniels is now the guy and he's going to be our starting quarterback the rest of the way? And what I said at that point was, I just didn't feel like Kirby was going to make a switch at quarterback unless Stetson Bennett faltered somewhere along the way. I think he would have to lose us a game or be a major contributing factor of why we lost a game, a big game, to convince Kirby to make a move. So with that in mind, my question for you is, Kurt, did Stetson Bennett falter enough on Saturday to open the door to a quarterback switch? In, in my opinion, I think he did. Uh, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head, in my opinion, too, that even if JT Daniels was 100% healthy and ready to go, I don't know if you take the job away from Stetson. Um, you know, it's hard to face your team when you have a guy like Stetson who everyone loves. He's a hardworking guy. He comes and does things the right way. Um, the team kind of does get behind him. And as a coach, and especially when he bails you out when your team is struggling against Arkansas and things like that, it's hard to just, you know, pull a kid out of nowhere for that. So I honestly believe that Kirby didn't have much leeway in pulling him. I mean, he could have, but you just don't you don't see that very often. But I will say, in my opinion, um, I thought Aaron Murray had a terrible take. You know, he at first last night, or I think it was last night, he wanted to blame saying the big tap, the discrepancy and, you know, the fact that they have good receivers and we don't is why we lost the game. And then today he tried to backtrack a little bit and said, well, Stetson didn't have a good game, but you still aren't going to beat them without great receivers. Now, I do agree with that. But for those of us that were at the game, you could see there were people open left and right. I mean, in my opinion, Todd Monken called a pretty good game, drew things up to get people open. 
but we just didn't capitalize on it. We didn't execute. There's a lot of times. I mean, I texted you during the game. I could I lost count of how many times Stetson Bennett had balls batted down at the lot of scrimmage and things like that, where guys were open. And he just couldn't make it happen. I mean, the guy, he's a hardworking guy, but he does have his limitations. And you were starting to see them more so in a game like this. And then all of a sudden, he, I mean, he, don't get me wrong. Stetson made some good throws, like the one to James Cook, uh, the one to uh, Burton down the sideline. Those were good throws. But he had a lot more bad than he did good in this game. He like I mentioned last week, I thought he was starting to look human. And then you really saw it this week. You're right, Curse. Look, I'm with you. Like, well, I think everyone in Dog Nation is pulling for Stetson Bennett. Like, we, like his story is incredible. Like, you want a guy yeah, like, like Yeah, I don't want people to think I'm trashing him or I don't, I'm going against him. That's not the story. Like, I want, if he could, if he's the best guy, heck, I would love for him to be our quarterback. And I think he was the best guy for the first week, maybe two, maybe three. I don't know. But is he going to be the best guy moving forward? That, that, that's an answer. I mean, I, that, our coach is going to have to really, really dig into. Like that's a question they're going to have to really ask themselves and evaluate during this bye week. But yeah, I mean, Stetson, like we all want this guy to do well. We all want him to, right? I mean, we love his story. A guy that works as hard. You can't not root for him. And you're right. It wasn't like he didn't make any good plays. He obviously made some good plays on Saturday, but making a few good throws is not enough to be Alabama on the road. It's not. You you can't just get by and say, oh, well, he made a couple good throws. That's not enough. I'm sorry. It's not, okay? It's just not. Uh, it, it is. Look, it's easy to pile on Stetson after Saturday. And I know people are. People out there. I haven't been around the world. I'm actually driving back on, on Sunday, just actually just getting in. So I haven't seen everything is out there, but just a little bit I have seen that I have heard, I have listened to. There seems to be obviously some frustration with Stetson. I heard it in, walking back to the hotel on Saturday night. I heard, heard it from some Georgia fans, the few of us that were there. But he, he did some good things. It helped us take the lead into the half. But you're right, Curtis. He also did some things that absolutely killed us. And I'm not going to sit here and say that Stetson Bennett lost this game. That's not fair to Stetson Bennett. There are a lot of other things that went wrong in this game as well. But Stetson was certainly – his play was a major contributing factor to this loss. Is that fair to say, Kurt? Yeah, especially as good as their offenses. You know, people are saying, well, the defense, you know, gave up big plays and things in, in the second half. Yeah, they did give up big plays. But Bama is going to get them. I don't care how good your defense is. The way football is made nowadays is for receivers to make plays and make things happen because players can't be as physical as they were like that. I thought Eric Stokes played that ball really well in the end zone when it should have been a kick um, on the fourth down. Instead, they get a first down at the two-yard line and go in and take it to the house. The yeah, fact that was not that, that was ridiculous. That was yeah, ridiculous. it was ridiculous. But the fact of the matter is, offenses are going to get theirs. The oh, and elite offense like that will get theirs. Yeah. Yeah, and the first half is exactly the game plan we sh- that is going to win you the game. You try to score more than them. Um, I mean, well, that's obvious. But we also kept the ball away from them for the most part and put together drives going down the field, keeping it out of their hands and allowing us to build a lead. That's how you beat them, and we did it. But then the second half, all of a sudden, Stetson throws that one pick. And, you know, he, he it just kind of spiraled out of there, especially that that pick where we were going down there driving and all of a sudden you throw that pick. They get the short field and they go up and, t- and then they take the lead from there. That's what you can't do against a team like Bama. Well, what was crazy, too, is I felt like I was watching Jake Fromm on that throw. You know, Aaron Murray tried to say, well, our receivers weren't getting separation. That's there was wrong. a lane there and a window for him to hit Jermaine Burton for with the ball right there. It's not like Jermaine Burton hadn't created enough separation. No, he created enough separation. To get, I mean, there was a window there, but Stetson threw it off his back foot, and the ball was a riser. I haven't seen what Aaron said. I, I had not heard that yet, but I'll take your word for that. Look, Aaron Murray knows a lot more about football than I will ever know. He played at a higher level than I've ever played it at, so I, I, I certainly have a lot of respect for Aaron Murray. But, but to say that was all in the receivers, I don't believe, I can't agree with that. Especially for, I mean, you and I were both there. You could see it. There was, there was guys open. 
I mean, receivers, just like that very first pick, open all night. That, the very first pick. I mean, that 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 first drive kills you. We get a pick on their very first play. We need to we need to get points out of that, even if it's a field goal. You've got to get something out of that. Instead, you have Trey McKitty out of the back. You know, he's off to the left in the flats, completely wide open. Stetson's still sitting there reading it, reading it. So it, can show, it shows that he didn't have just one read and to get rid of it because he sat there with the ball for a minute looking for a read, and yet he tries to throw it over the middle where. Throughout the entire game, he had no success over the middle, and he just it gets batted down. And ends up being a pick. Yet you had a guy who could have run for 10, 15 yards at the least over there open. Well, that was the theme all night. We had guys open that he this wasn't. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like the, the receivers were open. Todd Monken drew people open. So it's not like last year where you know everyone was held down and there, there was literally no one to throw to. That wasn't the case because there were windows to hit guys this 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 game in particular. Yeah, you're right. And look, I, I, again, I don't. You're exactly right. You're being extraordinarily accurate here. I, and, I, and I'm not trying to make this like a bash Stetson Bennett. No, I'm not trying to make it. Like I said, he had no, a no, no, you're right. Yeah. book and all those things. But the realistic is his limitations got exposed. He's not Baker Mayfield. He's not a guy that walked on because he was that good and wanted to, you know, go to the school and in the end wanted to go to school that he always wanted to. He's not Baker Mayfield. No, he's not. He's no, he's not. He's not. I mean, look, like I just, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to like go down this not play by play, but just some of the things that I saw specifically that, that they did well. I mean, some things that hurt us. You mentioned some of these curves. Look, so yeah, you know, we hit, it's a nice throw, hit that touchdown pass right before the half to, to put us up. There was a huge pass to Jermaine Burton in the back of the end zone, but like we're really fortunate there that he hit the third wide open wide receiver. Well, and, and that's another right thing there. too. It took three tries when there was yeah. three wide open guys. Yeah, I mean, Todd Munkin, you mentioned, I'm like, I thought he actually called a really good game for the most part. I would like to have run the ball a little bit more because we were having a lot of success doing that. I think once the game started to get, out of, get away yeah, from Yeah, especially, especially once they out. started building their lead, we tried. We had to go away from the run, especially that's when Stetson's yeah. numbers went up. But I thought even though, like, yeah, it, we probably should have ran the ball a little bit more, but we were still fairly balanced enough to where we were moving the ball and not getting ourselves in horrible third-down situations either. Yeah, I think for the most part, for most of the game, that was true. I just we were having a lot of success getting movement. Our offensive line was like seriously getting some movement on that defensive. But front. I also think that had to go into the fact that we weren't being as predictable running every play either. That we were keeping them yes. in the passing game. Yeah, I am certainly not advocating like run it first, second, and you know th- throw it on third. Not at all. But we were just having a lot of success throwing the foot or running the football. And I'd like to have seen the split maybe a little bit closer. I mean, it wasn't all that divergent. I, mean, I think we didn't throw the ball forty times, ran the ball thirty times. Munkins, he, I think he called a really good game. And down there in the goal line, right before half, he schemed up three touchdowns in a row, which is tough to do in that part of the field when the field's condensed. He schemed up three perfect wide-open receivers in a row. Thank God Setson hit the third one. But the first two were there, and he just missed both of them. Uh, and then, you know, he's trying to answer. You know, they, Alabama goes that 90-yard touchdown pass to Waddle, right? And we're trying to come down. We're, we're trying to answer. And we were, we were. We were moving the ball on the foot. We moved it right down to the Bama 25. And then uh, here's another example. As you mentioned earlier, Trey McKinney on that first drive, we have – it was a third and ten uh, on our sideline. We had Cook wide open, probably for a touchdown, probably for a touchdown. You never know for sure, but there's a good chance he's going to get a touchdown on that play or at least get it inside the ten-yard line. But instead of going – there, he doesn't really look his way. I think what, what you're seeing from Stetson – or I saw a little bit from him on Saturday. I haven't seen a ton from him to this point every now and then, but not a ton until this week. I saw him start to lock onto receivers and not really go through progressions because on that play – Instead of going to Cook, who was wide open, he tries to force a contested throw into, into Jermaine Burton that got deflected and, and intercepted. Now, you can say, well, Jermaine Burton got his hands on. You can make that argument. It wasn't a terrible throw, but the ball was put into a situation where the where the, the pass was going to be contested. 
And it was very low percentage of that pass being completed. And, and in those situations, you got to keep the ball low, where if it's not completed, it's, it's incompletion, uh, a clear-cut incompletion. Now, I know that's easier said than done, but you can't leave it high in that situation. You, just, you have to know the receiver you're working with. I mean, Burton actually took some positive steps forward in this game, but to go to him in that situation when, it's a, when he's when the when the DB's draped all over him is it's going to be a highly contested catch at best. And you're going to go to Jermaine Burton. It's not George Pickens in that situation. You're talking about Jermaine Burton. I know it's, it's a guy you look at him with one-on-one coverage, but he was blanketed. You've got well, to go off that progression and go to your next, ne- go to the next read in the progression. And, and I don't know if that was James Cook, but all I know is James Cook was wide open there on the sideline. Could see, and that's what you and I were talking about. I thought he just didn't do a good job, especially like people, plays that should have been your safety valve and things like that. He wasn't hitting, and that's what killed you. And think about it. I can't remember. It was sometime in the first first. Uh, First half, I can't remember what how the drive ended, but at one point he threw it to Jermaine Burton in practically quadruple coverage, and he was lucky yep. that didn't get. Hit. How was that not intercepted? I mean, I'll like I don't know what he was he's doing. Done that I mean, before, Curtis. He's done that before and gotten away with. That's not new. Exactly, like, and that's the thing. Like that there was quad. There may have been five guys around there. He was lucky that ball wasn't picked. And I'm sitting there like, what are you doing? That yep. there's no chance. There's no chance that Burton's going to catch that ball. He did it last week against against Tennessee and got away with it. And he got he got away with it again this week, but he didn't get away with it every single time. And then so he throws that interception, which you can say, well, it bounced off Burton's hands. I've, I heard somebody say that so it was, that was on Burton. Uh, m- maybe you would like him to make that catch. That's a tough catch to make, and I just don't think that you're putting your receiver in a in a really good position on that throw. And it's just a really low percentage throw there. There were higher percentage throws on that play to be made than the one he made. But then to make matters worse. They they turn that into a touchdown. That's a killer. But then they then we come back on the very next drive. We're still kind of in the game. We still have a shot, right? We're not we're not dead. Like the yet. game's not over, right? We're not dead yet. Like it's it's still a long shot, but it's not dead. We have a chance because we were like that. Bama defense. I still said they're not very good. We were able to move the ball on them for most of the game. But but Stetson comes back on the next drive and throws an absolutely horrific interception now you can maybe defend that 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 second interception maybe the first two but that third one is indefensible it's a horrific interception back across his body after being flushed in the pocket had absolutely zero chance of being completed and here's what i would say about this curse that's precisely the type of thing that stetson bennett is in there not to do he's in there because he's supposed to make better decisions than a guy like duan mathis and not put us in terrible situations like that. That effectively ended the game. If he is going to do that kind of thing, then what in the world do we have to lose by putting Dwan Mathis back in there? Sure, he'll make some mistakes like that, but at least he brings something more dynamic to the table. I mean, that's, I, I just I, if Stetson Bennett is going to do that kind of thing, then why why is he the one in there? Because he doesn't bring it like, in terms of dynamic playmaking ability. He doesn't bring that. He's in there because he's steady. He's smart. You trust him. But if he's doing stuff like that, he's not being steady. He's not being smart. You can't trust him. So why do you have a guy that's a, not nearly as gifted as your other quarterbacks on the roster? Why is he still going to be in there if he's doing the same things that got them benched? Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree with it. Because like you said, Setson's in there because you trust him. Well, after Saturday, I lost a lot of trust in him. Absolutely. And like if, if that, that is that is what he brings to the table. That is what got him this job is that Kirby trusted him. He's smart. He might not be the most physically gifted guy, but he's going to make good decisions. He's not going to put his team in a bad spot. He's going to go out there and be safe and he's, with great defense. He's the perfect complement to that. You're going to win a lot of games then. And that's fine. And it's been the case for the first for the first three weeks. But then you see him. And I know it's Alabama. I know it's on the road. It's a big game. I get all that. He's still, I mean, not young, but he's inexperienced at, at this level. I get that. But if he is going to do the same things that got Dwan Mathis benched, 
and he's not nearly as athletic or physically gifted as Dewan Mathis, then why is he in there? I agree with that. This uh, this bye week may not be the best week for him. Um, this is a great time to have a bye week offensively, to say the least. It comes but, at a very um, interesting time. It does come at a very interesting time because now there's some leeway to put someone he else has in faltered. There. As we said, he's, he has faltered. Now now he opens the door to, to someone else maybe getting a, a look. And now will that happen? I don't know. It's tough to predict what Kirby Smart's going to do in court. I just don't know. I don't know. But – the, but the I also think there. Kirby Smart has to realize that – I mean, Kirby Smart knows it, that Stetson always had his benefit – or his limits, and you saw it. Like we said, Bama's going to get their points, but you have to be able to score too. And also, I mean, it's not only about scoring, but you can't turn over the ball because you have to be able to sustain drives and finish them and get points and give your defense a rest because that, that second half, they, our defense was completely gassed. Like, it was not fa- – like, against a team already that's as fast and explosive as Bama, you cannot leave your defense out the dry like that. No. You absolutely can. You can. And I'm going to move on here in just a second, but I want to just bring up one more, one more point here. And you mentioned, Curtis, the batted passes. And I've heard some people say, and the little that I've heard, say, well, you can't blame that on Stetson Bennett. What would you say to that? You know, they always try to say, well, you got to get your offense line to keep their hands down. You can't do that every single play. I'm just going to be honest. That's not, that's not realistic because if that was the case, there would be a lot more five foot ten quarterbacks out there. There's a reason that scouts and everyone prefer to have taller guys. Yeah, there's a reason like they, they call it, like there, there's a reason there's a prototype for, at the quarterback position, and, and that's it's, it's not the because they reason. it's not because you know so, or the, you know you look out and say oh that's what a quarterback looks like. No, it's because realistically, especially now when when you're playing football like we are at the level we are when you have offensive linemen as big as we have. I mean, if you watch the game, Bama's you know the the interior three really didn't even have to rush the, all that much because all they had to do was just sit back and wait to throw their hands up to block it. I think I think I think they were clearly coached to do that. I think they I think the book is out. They know we like to throw the ball across the middle of the field. They know that's Stetson's game. They also know he's short, so just sit back, watch his eyes, and just put your hands up when he tries to throw it, and you bat it down. And look, I, I'm not going to knock Stetson for being short. That's not his fault. He can't do anything about that. But I think at the same time, we also have to acknowledge that yes, it is a hindrance. It is. It just is. It doesn't mean he can't do good things. He's made some good plays for us. But the fact that he's short is a hindrance. It just and is. And let's be honest, like you said, the game plan is out there now too. So it's, that's not going to stop. No, it's not. And, like, and it's not just that some balls are batted down. Balls get batted down in every game. But these batted passes were killers. The, the interception on the first drive – Killer. That's at least that should have at least been three points there. At least in a game like that, that's huge. And there's another play later in the game where Kenny McIntosh later in the, in the I think it was in the, uh, in the second quarter was wide open uh, on the back. We were I think the, the play was from the Bama 33. He was wide open. It would have been a first down, but we had to settle for a 50 yard field goal. And yeah, maybe we would have to settle for a field goal anyway. Maybe we wouldn't have scored a touchdown on that drive. Who knows? But that would have at least been a first down. And you got a, ch- a chance to keep driving and try to move forward and try to put seven up on the board and we told you guys well just like later in the game game, yeah it may have been out of the game may have been out of hand at this point but the guy couldn't even complete a pass to james cook out of the backfield without getting it batted down i know and it just it just came at just really really bad times like when plays were there to be made and just get batted down and you can see stetson got frustrated there are times he kind of just doubled over he's like oh you can tell he was just kind of doubling over in frustration because he knew it There, there were big plays out there that didn't happen because the ball got batted down because he's short. And I get why he's frustrated. It's not his fault. He can't do anything about it. He's a short guy. It's like, I mean, I'm basically the same. I'm like the same size as Tessa Bennett. It's at least the same height. Like, I wouldn't be able to do any better. I get it. It sucks. But that's just the reality. And we Boy, and I think the frustration kind of hit, too, is he may be losing 
his his grip on everything. Like you said, he was the unquestioned leader. Now all of a sudden, you know, he's opened the door. Yeah. Yeah. And before we move on to the next topic here, like I just, I'll say one last thing on this. Like the bottom line is with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. And I've, this is, I've said this for weeks now, guys, but I just reiterated again, because it, it was right in front of us on Saturday with him at quarterback, our formula for offense and winning is the exact same formula as it has been for the past three or four years. I've been saying this for weeks. And when that's the case, when it's the same exact formula, how do you expect the results against the truly elite teams that we play to be any different? You have to introduce a new variable, guys, into the formula, or the result just isn't going to change. You can't expect to just change because you want it to change. You have to do something different. And we have the same exact formula. And look, that formula is great. It wins us a lot of games. You beat Tennessee. That's awesome. You beat Auburn. It's awesome, right? You win the East. That's awesome. But are you actually competing for national titles using that formula? And the answer, like, yeah, I know in 2017, sure. But since then, no. Like, we've been really good. But we haven't, we're not really competing for national titles. Like, we're, we're, we're in the conversation, but, like, we're just not as good as the, as the other elite teams because we just don't have it offensively right now. We just, we just don't have enough on that side of the ball. Not right now using this formula. And until we introduce a new variable, I just don't know if that's going to change. But, all right, we got to move on here because we got a couple other things to talk about. But before we move on to our next topic – I got to remind you guys about our good friends at MyBookie. Between the NFL, college football, and the Major League playoffs, there's no shortage of games to watch. We waited all summer, but here we are. We're in this prime time of sports viewing. And with thousands of lines available on all your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game day into payday with MyBookie. If you're the type of guy who likes to back the big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningful games exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs. They also have a ton of value. The thing about the NFL is that underdogs are never really dogs on Sunday. Every team truly has a chance to win, and you do too. Game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets, it's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. Sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use our promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to a 1000 bucks. It's a bonus sign to give you a little help and, you know, just a slight head start on your winning season. That's promo code OVERTIME for you to claim your bonus when making your deposit. Stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sports, and so much more. Sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The other big storyline that we're going to hear about for a while now is what happened to Georgia's defense? We've already heard all year long about the decline of SEC defenses, but our defense was the saving grace, right? At least coming in this week. So just get ready if you haven't already been. Just get ready to be bombarded with Georgia's defense is overrated. Be ready for those takes for the next few weeks. But the reality is, guys, I mean, 
our defense did get served some serious humble pie on Saturday. After coming into the game, only giving up 236 yards a game, 3.7 yards per play, 38 rush yards a game. We gave up 564 yards total, 7.4 yards per play, and 147 yards rushing. So, Curtis, is there some truth to the notion that our defense was overrated? What exactly happened last night? Well, I'll say we kept Najee in check until, like, the end of the game, really, when we were just completely done, gassed defensively. Uh, I think a lot of his yards were just yards he tacked on at the end to look good in stats. But defensively, yeah, um, the one thing I never realized until actually watching, you know, watching this game live um, is one thing that's really been our saving grace this year was our pass rush. But against Alabama, you can't really have a pass rush because you don't realize it when you're watching it from TV, but they get rid of the ball pretty dang quick. Um, you think because they throw the ball deep a lot of the time that they hold on to it and you allow the you know take these deep drops. That's not the case. Mac Jones actually gets rid of the ball pretty quickly. So I don't know. I just don't know if the game plan was the best to kind of blitz as much as we were leaving our guys on islands because they were just – Like struggling. that first touchdown to Mechie? Yeah. That's, that, that was – I honestly – I look – Again, our coaches know way more about football than I do. They have way more information they're working with. They break down the tape way more than I do, obviously. I just want to put that out there. But I have serious questions. When you have a team that's explosive as they are in the passing game, why are we blitzing off the boundary corner, bringing Campbell there early in the game, and getting Mechie matched up with our with one of our safeties one-on-one, with, with Lewisine? Lewisine's a really good player. Any of those three receivers matched up on one of our safeties one-on-one is a mismatch. And so you're basically banking on Campbell getting the quarterback on that play. And if he doesn't, that's a touchdown. That's exactly what happened. I just don't know if that was – I just don't know why we're being that aggressive that early in the game. All that does is just give them opportunities to get those easy scores that we knew we could not give up if we wanted to win this game. Anyway, like here's what – let, let me say this too. I think we need to – First off, acknowledge that the Bama offense is really, really good. That's not to say that that's excusing our play at all, but they're really, really good. They are incredibly tough to defend. They create a lot of issues. And I want to give Steve Sarkeesian some credit here. I thought he had a really good game plan to try to make our defense play left-handed. And what I mean by that is I think they've recognized that our base defense has essentially become our nickel. Like when we get those athletes, we have so many athletes, so many versatile athletes on our defense right now. And when we're in our nickel and dime packages, we can really do a lot of interesting things, really just exotic stuff that give offenses issues. And I think Starkeesian recognized that. So he went with a lot of 12 personnel, one running back, two tight end looks, with only two wide receivers on the field. And he did that to force us into our traditional 3-4 base defense. When offenses come with heavy personnel, we've got to respond and react with our own heavy personnel. So we had to play with our 3-4 base defense, and that not the entire game, but in, in large segments of the game, at least on the standard downs. And that created a lot of mismatches. For example, Monty Rice on Devontae Smith, 30 yards down the field. That's never a matchup that we want to have. That's not a favorable matchup for us. That is Sarkeesian scheming that. Uh, then you have another example, Jermaine Johnson on Najee Harris down the field on a wheel route. We're not going to win that matchup. We're just not going to win those matchups. And I want to give Sarkeesian credit for that. He, that was a really good coaching job. But I think there's more than anything, there's two things that combine to create issues for us. Kurt, you mentioned one of them. And we, we've discussed both these on the show before. But there are two things. You mentioned the, the we, we could not get pressure with a four-man rush. That has been an issue. When they have wide receivers like they do, it's really tough to bring more than four guys, as I mentioned, with the, with the blitz off the edge of that set up that first touchdown or from the boundary corner. And if you can't get there with four, then it, it's it's tough because then you're going to expect your DBs. Yeah, you can play coverage, but you're expecting your DBs to hold up in man coverage that long against a bunch of NFL wide receivers. You can't expect that to happen. 
that's an issue. We're really great with our pressure package when we get teams in that situation, but we still struggle to rush the passer on standard downs with a basic four-man pass rush. We just don't get to the to the quarterback with a with a four-man rush. We just don't. And as good as Aziz Ojolari is and our outside linebackers in general are, those guys are really good. But we like Aziz has been great, but he's not Chase Young. He's not a Jadeveon clowning type pass rusher off the edge. That's not what he is. He's a more complete player than those guys, but he's not that kind of pass rusher. So we just don't really get the quarterback much with a four-man rush like that. So when you combine that with the fact that we really, really had some issues covering them in man coverage, it was a recipe for us to uh, – really get exposed to it. And I, don't, I don't know if exposed is the right word because they're really tough to defend, but it, it was just, it was a recipe for us to have a really long night defensively. And I, I, I was texting you during the game, course. one of the big issues I had all game long, we just had so much trouble covering them in man coverage. And I will say this, it's tough to do, and I know it's easy to say that, but it's really tough to cover them one-on-one, not only because they're so, they're, they're awesome and they're so explosive, but when like what we like to do with, with our cornerbacks and what, where our cornerbacks really excel is we like to get up into receivers' faces. We like to press them. We like to get physical with them. I mean, that's what Campbell did to Seth Williams against Auburn, and that's how we essentially shut him out of that game. But Bama's receivers, as good as Seth Williams is, they're just on a totally different level than a guy like that with their ability to just absolutely blow by you. Well, and uh, you're you're talking about Sark. He did a great job, too, of doing that, you know, where they're kind of hiding one guy behind the other, and we couldn't jam him off 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 the line of scrimmage, and that was creating free run. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. He did a great job. He did a great job. I mean, I, I thought his scheme and his game plan was was outstanding coming into this game. But when you're trying to defend these Alabama wide receivers, it's really tough to get up in their face and press them like we like to do because they have the ability to blow by you and hit those explosive plays. So you're a lot more hesitant to get your hands up and get up on them because if they get off you, if they get off that press coverage, it takes one play and boom, they, they just beat you for a 90-yard touchdown pass, which they did anyway. But it's really tough because yeah, because Campbell decides to fall down at the most yeah. inopportune time. Yeah, yeah, and and, that, and that, that's that's unfortunate that that happened. I mean, it probably would have completed that ball anyway, but it probably wouldn't have been a ninety-yard touchdown pass. But I mean, like, it's, it's just yeah. it's a it's a tough ask to play those receivers one on one because they have that explosibility to just blow by you, and when they can do that. You want to get up and impress them in physical because they're not big guys, but it's just so tough because they blow by you, then you're beat, and it's like it's game over, and that's kind of what ended up happening. So it's just tough. We didn't we didn't press them as much as we normally do, and uh, it, it showed because our our DBs were just in man coverage, whether it was Campbell, Stokes, Singh, our linebackers. It didn't matter. We just had a lot of trouble covering the man on man. And, and that made it really difficult when you're not getting pressure on the quarterback. When he's able to sit back there and, and pick you apart and you can't cover a man – then it's going to make for a really long night. And, Kurt, you also mentioned we got worn down and just demoralized in that second half. After the touchdown where they went up 17, Kirby, you know, instead of being upset, you get, I don't know if it showed on the, on the TV copy, but you can see in the stands, he, he was pumping the guys up. He came up there, he's patting them on the back. He was really trying to cheer them up and lift their, lift their spirits because they came to the field, they were just down. They were down. Like, they know. Like, they know what's going to be said about them, and, and, and they take pride in what they do. So they were absolutely not just worn down, but demoralized in that second half. And I think that showed them. I'm not going to say they quit. They didn't quit. But there were certainly uh, some players out there who were, um, I would say, were certainly down themselves. And I think that impacted their play late in the game once we got down and we kept turning the football over. But I do want to point this out because I think it's important, Curtis. The defense did not have its best performance by any stretch of the imagination. It, it was not a good look. But it kind of goes back to my original takeaway. I know the final numbers weren't good. 
But our defense did everything we needed them to do, honestly. And it wasn't like perfect, but our defense did everything we needed them to do for about two and a half quarters. Let me go through this, Kurt. The first 10 Alabama possessions, listen to this, okay? The first 10 Bama possessions, interception, touchdown, punt, 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 punt. Yes, that's four punts in a row, guys. How many teams in America, how many defenses are going to force Bama to punt on four consecutive possessions? I would say not many. Not many. Four consecutive punts. So interception, touchdown, punt, 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 field goal, touchdown, and a field goal right before half. That field goal that we allowed them to get with 23 seconds to go after we scored that touchdown to Jermaine Burton, that was a killer. That destroyed them. We should have had all the momentum going to half, but no, they were able to steal the momentum back. And I don't say that was game over. That certainly, certainly was a major factor in that game. But then we come out and we also get a, we force a punt on their first possession in the second half. So, guys, the first 10 possessions – Again, interception, touchdown, punt, 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 field goal, touchdown, field goal, punt. That's getting the job done. That's what, that's what I'm talking about. That is playing good enough defense, okay? That is that is enough defense if your offense is scoring enough points. We just weren't scoring enough points because then after that, they go three straight touchdown drives. Two of those were off interceptions, and that was all she wrote. But I don't think it was as bad for our defense as people nationally are going to make it out to be. I know when you look at the stats, over 550 yards, I get that. It was certainly not our best performance, and, and they exposed us on on, play, on certain plays, getting matchups. I think Sark did a really good job of scheming things up, but it wasn't all terrible. Our defense in the, for two and a half quarters actually played Alabama. I don't want to say as well as you could possibly play, play them, but pretty darn well. I would say they played them for two and a half quarters. Our defense played them well enough to win that football game. Our offense just could not consistently execute, and and that's the thing. That's the thing. Um, all right, Kurt, we've got a couple more things here before we get out of here. Losing this game in isolation, it's one thing, but we know it's more than just that. This game was just a latest example of us coming up short against like the truly elite championship teams, be it the national title game against Bama in 2017, the SEC title game in 2018, LSU in the title game last year. We've been so successful the past four years. We've beaten some really good teams. You know, Auburn in 2017, we beat them in the SEC title game. That's a good Auburn team. Maybe not an elite Auburn team, but a good team. Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl, Florida the past two years. But too often against the truly top teams, we're still coming up short, especially these games against Bama. That have all, I mean, let's be real, guys. They've all followed a very similar pattern. You would go into halftime with the lead in each of each of these past three matchups with Bama, only to let it slip away late in the second half. So, Curtis, what's missing here? Like, why can't we close the deal against these truly elite teams? Because we just don't have all the pieces that we need. Like this year, I honestly believe we could beat them. We're not going to beat them with Stetson at quarterback. Like you said, our defense can do it. Yeah, they gave up the big plays. But you're still going to have to go out there and score 40-something points to beat Alabama. I mean, they held us scoreless in the second half. Even if we score two touchdowns, it's a three-point game. I mean, you know, the game's completely different, but it all is based on the fact that our offense did absolutely nothing in the second half and kept putting our defense in terrible, terrible positions. And that's what allowed the game to get out of, out of control. And just like LSU, um, you know, it's just, it's just always once – I mean, even as LSU a couple of years ago, our offense was abysmal. Jake Fromm played absolutely crappy that game, and it killed our defense, put them in terrible situations. It, there's always that one recipe is the team just keeps getting put in bad situations because of a weak link or, or you know, just one side not pulling their weight. Yeah, for me, it, it's, it's exactly what you're saying. To me, just the, we're just not good enough on offense in general. I'm not saying we're not good on offense. We're just not good enough on offense. In we're general, not executing. The, the plays were there. We just aren't executing well enough. 
Bingo. That's what's coming down to. Absolutely. And it's we're not good enough on offense in general, but I, I, I would go back to – I would really just say quarterback play too, if you will be more specific. Stetson's fine. Jake Fromm was good, all right? But we're, we're not going to win – these type of games consistently until we get that quarterback position figured out until we get no because that's the one what's the one thing that's in common with all the teams that we've lost to oh that's yeah. right they have a really good quarterback play you got joe burrow you got two talking about you got jalen hurts mac jones i know mac jones people don't look at him as, as this great quarterback i think mac jones is really good i think he he's the best a great deep ball i gotta give him credit he throws, throws a really good deep ball I mean, I told you guys coming to the coming to the season, I would put him above Kyle Trask, and people thought I was crazy, but I, I I would stand by that. I mean, Kyle Trask is having a good year. I think Mac Jones is better. Mac Jones is a really good quarterback. No, he's not two a ton of Iowa, but you're right. Kurt, look at all these teams. Look, look, at look at Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield, right? All these teams that are that are Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, Deshaun Watson at Clemson. The difference is we don't have an elite quarterback. At least we we haven't had one yet. All right, Jake Fromm was really good, but he wasn't elite. Like he just wasn't elite. He wasn't on that level. And until we get that position figured out, until we get an elite playmaker in there, then we're not going to consistently win these games. I'm not saying we can't you know win one of these games here and there because we could have beaten Alabama on Saturday if, like you said, the offense just executed. But that's the thing: the margin for error is so small when you aren't elite at the quarterback. When you have Jake Fromm and when you have Stetson Bennett at quarterback, it's just so small. And when the smallest thing goes awry, then things just they fall apart. And to be honest, that's why we need someone like JT Daniels to get healthy because the two guys that have been that have held the helm so far this year are not going to win us the big game. Well, one because he's not dynamic enough physically, and one is probably just not ready from a developmental standpoint. And we're hoping yeah. that Daniels is the, the the total package there, putting those two things together. And who knows? We'll see. But I think he's at least like, the I, one I, thing I thought this is not going to get the it one done. Thing I thought was interesting going into the game is I'm, I may just be reading into it, but you know how when quarterbacks toss before they go in, it's usually the first and second string quarterbacks that throw with each other has to be ready in case they're called in there. They need to keep their arms somewhat decently sure. warm. Well, you never once saw Juwan Mathis pick up a ball on the sidelines. No, I just thought that was really interesting that he never once picked up a ball and threw it with the team. Yeah, it was JT and Stetson. It was yeah, JT I thought that. I, I mean, I'm, I may be reading into uh, and everything, but watching it, you know, in the stands and seeing that Juwan did not once pick up a ball and throw it off to the side to keep him, him his arm warm. So if he had to come in, he sure as heck was not going to be ready to go. But at JT Daniels, I just thought it was very interesting that he was the one person that was ready. I don't know what to think about the JT Daniels situation. So this guy makes the trip, right? It, all we've heard is that, okay, he's medically cleared. He's been working with the scout team. But you hear all these rumors about him. You know, maybe he, he's not 100% yet. He doesn't feel comfortable. Maybe his family doesn't feel comfortable. Maybe the coaches don't feel like he's completely healthy. You don't know what to make of it. But the, like, what do you make of the fact, that Curtis, that he got one of the very precious travel spots for this game? I think I, that's, that's my whole point is like, you know, he goes back to Arkansas. He wasn't cleared yet, but you gave it to him over Beck. Because I mean, not saying that Beck's any better, but the fact of the matter is, if if one of the two guys goes down, you can't have a quarterback out there that's not cleared to play or ready to play. Yeah, that's what, that, that's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm sitting there looking at, looking at the sideline all game long. I'm like, man, you hear all these rumors. You don't know what to believe, but you hear these rumors out there that man, yeah, he's been technically cleared. But that's kind of like in, in quotation marks there because maybe he doesn't feel like he's got all the confidence back in that knee. Maybe his family doesn't feel like that. Maybe the coaches don't feel like you hear all these things. But it's like, well, you're not going to bring this guy when you only have a certain number of guys that you can bring on your travel roster. 
you're not going to bring him if you don't think like he can go in and play if if he has to. Like if something has, happens to set some or if you know if we're forced into an emergency situation, he has to be ready to play. Or he's not getting that travel spot. So it's just I don't know what's going on there. I just don't. I, I can't quite figure it out. I'm very curious to watch how things go over this next bye week. I'm sure. Well, that's what I say. The way he's moving on the sidelines too. He looked pretty well, like a warm up. I know it's warm ups things, but he was put. He, I mean, you could tell he's purposely trying to do certain things, like throw on the run, even in, you know, just tossing the ball back and forth to work on his mobility and things like that. He seemed to be very smooth out there, to where I think that that's why I mentioned this bye week comes at a perfect time for say someone like him to all of a sudden get get himself in the race. Yeah, and uh, who knows what this means? Who knows what it means? It might not mean anything, but of course, there was that picture that was that came out late last week with him at practice without the knee brace on, which we hadn't really seen yet. Like, again, maybe it was just like he took the knee brace off for a second and somebody snapped the picture. I don't know. Like, who knows? But there's there's that too. So, I mean, there's just – there's some intrigue there going into this bye week, and I don't know how it's going to turn out, what's going to happen. But, again, I do think that Stetson with his performance here – I know it's just one game. He's been really good to this point. But I think he opened the door because I think Kirby knows. I mean, Kirby knows now, guys. Like, maybe he didn't know early in his tenure here. Maybe he – yeah. He knows now that we're not going to beat the truly elite teams in this country and win national title until we fix the quarterback spot. He knows. And that's why you bring in Jamie Newman. That's why you go with Dwan Mathis to open the season, even though you realize he might not be ready from a developmental standpoint because you realize for us to be the team that we want to be, we have to have a more dynamic quarterback. And Mathis might not be ready now, but hopefully he'll grow into that. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out in that first game. He hasn't gotten a chance to really – to try to come back in at this point, because Stetson has been pretty solid, right? He's been solid. He's been saying he's been doing the things that Kirby wanted him to do. The reason he was in there, but when you stop, when you don't do that in this kind of game, you open that door. So I don't know. I think the old Kirby Smart two or three years ago would just stuck with Stetson, like we saw with Jake Fromm. Now I don't know because Kirby wants to win. I know, I know people think he's just loyal to a fault, and maybe that's fair based on what he's done in the past. But this guy wants to win. He wants to win more than all of us want to win. Trust me, guys. He's that kind of dude, and. I'm curious to see how he responds after this game going to the bye week. I, th- I think this is a this is gonna be something that bears a lot of watching over the next couple of weeks here. All right, guys. Last thing before we get out of here today, I'll be honest with all of you. I hate these shows. After losses, I hate them. I never want to do them. It's all still fresh for me. I take this stuff to heart. I hate having to relive all of it. It sucks. It absolutely sucks i hate it and we spent the entire show so far dwelling on all the negative which makes sense because there are obviously a lot of things we need to improve on when we lose a game by 17 points like that but curtis i want to end on i don't know maybe somewhat of a positive note if that's possible try to somehow find some sort of silver lining in what we experienced last night but before we hit the record button on this episode, like I mentioned this earlier in the show, I hadn't really gotten a chance to talk to you that much about the game since the game actually happened. We were texting a little bit during the game, but we didn't really get to kind of debrief after the game. But you texted me as I was walking out of the stadium last night, and you said, I'm going to quote you directly here, Curtis, from your text. You, you said, quote, I'm calling my shot now. If we make it to the SEC championship, we beat them. So, Kurt, simple question here for you to get us out of here today. What makes you say that? Well, first off, I think that a game like this makes you come to the sober realization that, hey, we have to make a change at quarterback. And like I said, I think this was the type of game that we needed to make something, a change happen offensively that I don't know we would have made before. So I think that's one thing that you have to take into account, that something there will be changes. 
I mean, you always see that, especially after Kirby Smart coach teams after a loss or something, something changes, and it's not going to be the worst thing in the world to happen, which I think will give me some confidence. And I also have to say, I think that a loss like this is good for the defense because, you know, they have a lot of confidence in themselves, as they should, because they're an experienced group and things like that. But they also needed to come down to earth just a little bit. I think like this, a game like this is something that can really change the way the defense is played. And even the coaches can look at themselves differently. You know, they had trusted themselves, all these players leave them on islands and do different, different things, bring them blitzes and stuff. Well, they got exposed. And you have to go back to the drawing boards. And sometimes that's not the worst thing that can happen. And at the same time, I think you also got it out of bed of, you know, crap in the bed, blowing the game, whatever you want to call it, however you want to say it. You got that out of the way. And at the same time, I would much rather play Alabama in the Dome or what Mercedes-Benz or whatever than I would at home because I thought there were some questionable calls like that one in the end zone which should have ended up just being a field goal and instead it's a touchdown which, you know, changes the complexion of the game even more. Um, so there were just, you know, I think that this team is going to get better. And our weakest link right now is offense. And I think by the end of the season, you may see a difference in the offense. Like the defense, not much is going to change, but they're capable of playing better. But the offense is the one that – we haven't reached our ceiling quite yet. Yeah, I think our offense, and I said this last week, but I'll say it again. I, I think it's true. There's just more potential for growth with our offense than there is in that Bama defense. And I, I still believe that's the case. We just, we just, we're just not there offensively right now. And that can change if we are luck, fortunate enough to get a chance to put ourselves in a position to play them again. This offense, I'm not going to say it's going to be an elite offense, but it will be a better offense than what it was in week four on Saturday night. That that is because this offense is improving every single week. That's pretty clear to me. Now, will it be good enough? I don't know, but it will be a better version of itself. Here's how I would respond to that same question. Like I'm not, I'm not freaking out right now. I know a lot of people are after a loss like this, and I get it. I don't want to dismiss anyone's feelings. Those feelings are real. I get it. And, and trust me, guys, it hurts. It sucks. Like I, I I don't feel good about things right now. I don't feel I I don't like losing to anyone. I'm very competitive. I don't like it. I want to beat Alabama, okay? But I'm not freaking out for a couple of reasons. Number one, I did not walk out of that game feeling like we were clearly outmatched against Alabama. Did you, Kurt? No, not like it was last year when we lost to LSU in the SEC Championship game when we, where you thought, okay, it doesn't matter if we play them 10 times. We're not winning one of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I did not walk out of that game feeling like, man, God, they were just clearly the better team. Like, they're just so much better than us. We have no chance. Like, we were lucky to even be in that stadium with them. I didn't feel like that at all. I think the first two and a half quarters proved that. We just didn't execute on offense. And our offense is, like I said, still developing, while that Alabama offense is a well-oiled machine. We're just at a developmental stage offensively right now with a new coordinator. And here's and we've mentioned this before, like after the, after the Arkansas game. And I'll say it again. Like, we all knew coming into the year – that it was going to be a bumpy road early in the year for this offense without spring practice, a new coordinator, new system. We thought Jamie Newman was going to be the, the starting quarterback, but when he's not and you find out you have a guy who like a month ago is like your fifth string quarterback, well, you have to realize, guys, yeah, the offense is going to be a work in progress. And we, I think we all felt that way coming in, but here we are once we get in the season and things aren't clicking like we wanted to on offense. And like we're people like lose their minds over. I'm like, well, what did you expect? We all knew it was going to be like this early in the year. But we just, you know, we, we still have to find a way to execute. It's not making excuses for them. We have to execute. But the fact is, this offense has a lot of potential for growth, still developing, and that BAM offense is a well-oiled machine. That's the reality. Yeah, Here's they the, haven't had any turnover. I mean, coaches, everyone's back on that offense. The exact same offense, except for two receivers that went to the NFL, and two was gone, right? But Mac Jones, end of the year, is their starter, and he was good at the end of the year last year. 
But this is like the crazy thing is like this is the exact same spot we've been in three years running now. The, we have a bad loss going into the bye week. We need to use the bye week to recover, to reevaluate, improve, and then come out of that bye week and beat Florida. Now, the difference is we don't have Florida straight out of the bye. We have to play Kentucky before Florida. But it's still a very similar situation. And, and guys, it's that simple. This is why I'm not freaking out. As we've seen this story before, like the same exact story the past two seasons, as long as we beat Florida and we don't blow it against the rest of the schedule, and guys, let's be real. Like we, we could lose to any of those teams. We lost to South Carolina at home last year, but there's no excuse losing any of those games. Kentucky's a good, solid team. We should not lose Kentucky. I don't care if it's on the road. We shouldn't lose to Missouri. We shouldn't lose to South Carolina. We shouldn't lose to Mississippi State. We shouldn't lose to Vanderbilt. As long as we don't blow it against one of those teams, as long as we just beat Florida, we're going to get our shot to play Alabama again. And, and like, like, I will say, like, we can beat every single team left on the schedule as currently constituted. Like, with without even with Stetson at quarterback, we can beat every team, including Florida. We can beat every team. On I our don't schedule. know about that. I, I think we can be. You don't think we can beat Florida right now? I do. You're still gonna have to score some points, and I don't have faith in him. We're, we're gonna we're, we definitely have to score some points, but we put up some points in Alabama. And I think Alabama's defense, it not they're not great. They're better than Florida's defense right now. And I don't think Florida, Florida has some playmakers. They don't have the guys Alabama has. Like Kyle Pitts is really good. He'll pose a problem for us. Kadarius Tony is a good player. I, they don't have guys like Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. That why those guys are legit, like first round pick NFL draft picks at receiver. And Kyle Pitts is really good. I just don't think they have as many guys, and, and they don't have the run game Alabama has either. In my opinion, I think I don't think Florida is is Alabama. I think we can still beat Florida with stats. And it would be a close game. I'm not saying that it's a, it's a done deal. We would absolutely beat Florida, but I think. I still think we could be afforded with Stetson. We had, he had to play well, but I still think we could. But the the, the fact of this game is, guys, like, I, it's kind of like – I'm not going to say this is what I expected because I did predict us to win. I kind of got talked into that. I, I talked myself into that after saying, like, all offseason, I thought this was the game that we were going to lose. Heck, in our, in our preseason preview show, when we were picking all the games and everyone's record, I picked us to go 9-1 and one the regular season with a loss to Alabama. So, like, I can't sit here and say I'm surprised. That's, why, that's another reason why I'm not – freaking out here maybe i kind of talked myself into it after what happened in Ole miss and i like some of the matchups and i did and i like some of those matchups we just didn't execute those opportunities when consistently when those opportunities were there but i told you guys we have to play a clean game we had to play a clean game to be alabama because our offense just isn't good enough to get away with that kind of stuff right now but we didn't do that i said we can't turn the ball over well we clearly turned the ball over i said we can't miss open touchdowns we did that uh, I said we have to force him to kick field goals. We did that in the first half. The second half, we couldn't do that. I said we couldn't give up big plays. We had to force him to go length of the field. We did not do that consistently. And I said we had to capitalize on turnovers. Well, they gave us one turnover in the first drive of the game, and we didn't capitalize on that. So we just simply did not play a clean game, and we're not good enough offensively to get away with that right now. I, I, I think – I mean, honestly, guys, I think we were going to win this game. I think we were going to win this game until we started making mistakes on offense. Is that crazy to say, Curtis? No, because if you go off the first half, that was there. I mean, yes. Well, I mean, we were going to win this game. We had this game. I'm not going to say we were controlling the game, but we were on track to win this football game until we started making mistakes on offense. It's simply about execution. When we execute on offense, guys, we're pretty good. We showed that on Saturday. We just don't consistently do that enough right now to be a team of Alabama's caliber. Hopefully by the end of the year, if we're fortunate enough to put ourselves in that spot to play them again in the SEC title game, that will change. We'll be able to execute more consistently. But when you have bad reads, drop passes, missed blocks, interceptions, like we did, we're just not good enough right now in offense to do those things and, beat, and expect to beat Alabama. 
And I, I mean, I know the defense at the end of the day, we give over 500 yards and then that's not good enough. I get that. But for most of the game, like I laid out earlier, two and a half quarters, those first 10 possessions, the defense did enough for the vast majority of this game. And we just got worn down because the offense started to make the mistakes, turn the ball over. And it kind of just it got out of control there at the end. But we can be Alabama. We can. But again, we're, just, we're kind of going in circles here, Curtis. Going back to the quarterback thing. We just, the reality is with Stetson, the margin for error is just so small. We saw it last night. We've just got to, we've got to find an answer there. And I just, I hate to say it, man, because I want the guy to be good. I want the best for him, I want, but I want the best for our team. I just don't know that Stetson is that guy. But didn't you, like, did you take away anything positive from last night, Curtis? Last thing before we get out of here, is there anything positive that we can take away from what we saw last night? I mean, realistically, the fact is that, like I mentioned, guys were open. That's a positive. It's not like guys were getting draped all over that there was nowhere to throw. That's not the case. Todd Munkin called a game, and it showed that guys can get open, that we have some playmakers that can make plays. thought Kendall Milton ran the ball really well. Um, So, I mean, there was things out there to be made, and I think that's one thing that you have to take away is, yeah, we didn't execute, but at least the opportunities were out there. Totally agree. There are actually quite a few things I took away from this game feeling much better about. I think our offensive line – Played well. I thought we were getting consistent movement up front. I mean, Zeus had five, he averaged five five point seven yards per carry. Kendall Milton, you mentioned, averaged seven point three yards per carry. McIntosh only had two carries. I guess he got dinged up. I don't know what happened there, but he didn't really play much at all. I don't think at all in the second half. Uh, he had six yards per carry on his two cut touches. The thing is, those three guys only had eighteen combined carries. That's not enough. We were running the football, and then we needed to run the ball a little more. It's my only small little criticism of Todd Munkin. Well, I thought that. James Cook had a really good game too. We finally used him in the pass game like we should have. We activated James Cook. I loved it. I and we, and we actually hit a few explosive plays. Our offense has not been explosive this year, and we hit some of those, which is it's a positive sign. This is what I'm talking about, guys. We're, we're progressing offensively. We're just still developing. We're not there. Jermaine Burton had his best game today. I mean, a couple of games this year, he's been MIA. Like, he's a true freshman. He's still learning. Can't make side adjustments or is having trouble making side adjustments. All those things. But he played pretty well. Now, yeah, he dropped the pass and it wasn't perfect. But he also made some plays really for the first time all year. I, that was that was encouraging to see. And I, I know I criticized Munkin a little bit for not running the balls more than I think we probably could have in that game. But he was dialing plays up. He created a lot of favorable matchups that were there to be made. You mentioned, Curtis, why receivers were getting separation. I thought the offensive line did a really good job protecting Stetson. I think there were some things to take away from this game to feel pretty good about. But the bottom line is, at the end of the day, we did not get the job done. we got to go back to the drawing board and just clean these things up. Because if we clean them up and we can find a way to be more dynamic at quarterback – I think this this team still has a chance to make it a cultural playoff. I'm, I'm not ready to give up yet. I know some people are. The sky is falling. I'm not there yet because I've seen this story, guys. Like I said, I've seen this story three years in a row now going to the bye week. And so far, the first two versions of this story, the first two iterations, we've come out swinging out of that bye week. Let's see if it happens again this year. History would say yes. But it's a new year. We're going to have to find out. But all right, guys, that does it for us here today on the Glory UJ podcast. Of course, I'm sure there's so many things we did, not, we did not get to touch on. I'm sure we missed a lot of things. So hit us up on Twitter with any and all questions that you have that you'd like us to discuss after this game. You can send those questions to us at glory underscore UGA. You can also email them to us at gloryujapodcast at gmail.com. We try to cover as much as we could in the short window of time that we have here today to record. But again, of course, I'm sure we missed something. So let us know what we missed. Let us know what you like to discuss. And we will definitely do that later on this week. But thanks for listening, guys. We really do appreciate you. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, win or lose, go dogs. <laughs>